Chapter Thirty Two of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter Thirty Two. Going to Rest. Mr. Walcott had arrived nearly at the end of his letter to his parents when summoned to attend Mrs. Rowland to call on the Greys. He was afterwards glad that he had left room to put in that perhaps what Mr. Enderby had said about Deerbrook ought to be less regarded, from its having come out that he was in an entanglement with the sister-in-law of this Mr. Hope. When he had rather have been engaged to another person, being actually, indeed, attached to a lady now abroad, he represented that Mrs. Rowland evidently paid very little regard to her brother's views of Deerbrook affairs. Now that his mind was in a state of distraction between his proper attachment and his new entanglement, so Mr. Enderby's opinion ought not to go for more than it was worth. The letter was still not quite finished when he was called to Mrs. Enderby. She was very ill, and Mr. Rowland and Phoebe were alarmed. Philip was at the corner house. Mrs. Rowland was gone to see Miss Young, to convince her that she must put herself into Mr. Walcott's hands immediately, to declare, indeed, that she should send her own medical man to attend her dear children's governess. The argument occupied some time, and Mrs. Rowland's absence was protracted. Mrs. Enderby had been extremely terrified the evening before, at the noises she had heard, and the light of the bonfire upon the sky. The children were permitted to carry to her all the extravagant reports that were afloat about Mr. Hope's being roasted in the fire, the ladies being in the hands of the mob, and so forth, and though her son-in-law had seen her before she settled for the night, and had assured her that everybody was safe, she could not be tranquilized. She thought he was deceiving her for her good, and that the children were probably nearest the truth. She was unable to close her eyes, and in the middle of the night told Phoebe that she could not be satisfied, she should not have a moment's peace till she had seen someone of the dear people from the corner-house to know from themselves that they were quite safe. Phoebe had found it difficult to persuade her that it was now two o'clock in the morning, and that they were all, no doubt, sleeping in their beds. She passed a wretched night, and the next day after Philip had succeeded in composing her, a strange gentleman was brought to her to prescribe for her. This revived her terrors, she said she would ask no more questions, for all were in league to deceive her. Then she cried because she had said no harsh a thing, and begged that Phoebe would not expose it. Her weeping continued till Phoebe's heart was almost broken. The infallible drops failed. Arrowroot was in vain. The children were sent away as soon as they came in, as it would hurt their spirits. Their mother thought to see distress of this kind, in the afternoon quiet was prescribed by the authorities, and the old lady was left alone with Phoebe. To the weeping succeeded the spasms, so violent that little George was dispatched with all speed to summon his uncle, and Mr. Walcott was called away from crossing the ends of his letter. No one but he proposed sending for Mrs. Rowland, and his hint to that effect was not taken. Philip arrived in a shorter time than could have been supposed possible. Mr. Rowland then immediately disappeared. He had formed the heroic resolution of bringing Margaret into the house, on his own responsibility, for Mrs. Enderby's relief and gratification, and he was gone to tell Margaret that he considered her now as Mrs. Enderby's daughter, and was come to summon her to the sick bed. 
Philip presently discovered that the presence of someone from the hopes would be the best cordial that could be administered, and he set forth on the same errand to bring Margaret, that she might have his protection in case of his sister, returning before her arrival. Mrs. Rowland did return, and the two gentlemen having taken different roads to the corner-house, it being a matter of old dispute, which was the shortest, missed each other. Margaret was gone with Mr. Rowland before Philip arrived. "'Here I will leave you,' said Mr. Rowland to Margaret, on the steps of his own house. "'You will find Philip and Phoebe upstairs, and Mr. Walcott. I must go in search of Mr. Hope, and beg the favor of him to tell me whether we are proceeding rightly with our patient. She is too ill for ceremony.' Margaret wondered why, if this was the case. Mr. Rowland did not bring Edward to the patient at once. But she had her wonder to herself, for her escort was gone. The servant did not more than half open the door, and seemed unwilling to let Margaret enter, but she passed in, saying that she must see Phoebe for a moment. She soon found that she was to be left standing on the mat, for no person appeared, though she thought she heard whispers upstairs. Ned coming to peep from the study door, she beckoned him to her, and asked to be shown to where Phoebe was. The child took her hand, and led her upstairs. At the top of the first flight she met the lady of the house, who asked her, with an air of astonishment, what she wanted there. Margaret replied that Mr. Rowland had brought her to see Mrs. Enderby. That was impossible. The lady replied, Mr. Rowland knew that Mrs. Enderby was too ill to receive visitors. She herself would send for Miss Ibbotson whenever it should be proper for Mrs. Enderby to admit strangers. Margaret replied that she must see Phoebe, that she should not retire till she had spoken to her, or till Mr. Rowland's return. Mrs. Rowland sent Ned to desire the servant to open the door for Miss Ibbotson, and Margaret took her seat on a chair on the landing, saying that, relying on her title, to be admitted to Mrs. Enderby at the desire of her old friend herself. And of all the family but Mrs. Rowland, she should wait till she could obtain admittance. How rejoiced was she, at this moment, to hear the house door open, to hear the step she knew so well, to see Philip, and to have her arm drawn within his. Let us pass, said he to his sister, who stopped the way. Rest a moment, said Margaret. Recover your breath a little, or we shall flurry her. She is flurried to death already, said Philip, in his deepest tone of emotion. Priscilla, our mother, is dying. It is my belief that she is dying. If you have any humanity, if you have any regard for your own future peace of mind, conduct yourself decently now. Govern your own family as you will, when you have lost your mother, but hold off your hand from her last hours. Your own last hours are to come, said Margaret, as you would have Matilda be to you then. Be you to your mother now. I must ascertain one thing, Philip, said Mrs. Rowland. Does my mother know of what you call your engagement to Miss Ibbotson? She does not, and the sole reason is that I would not subject her to what you might say and do. I wished, for her own sake, to keep the whole affair out of her thoughts, when once I had removed the false impressions you had given her. But Margaret and I may see fit to tell her now. I may see fit to give her the comfort of a daughter, who will be to her what you ought to have been. He gently drew his sister aside, to make way for Margaret to pass. In my own house, exclaimed Mrs. Rowland, in a tone of subdued rage. We should have been in the house over the way, replied her brother, 
and we act as if we were there. Come, my Margaret, we are doing right. We are, replied Margaret, but yet she trembled. I must go in first and tell her that I have brought you, said Philip, and yet I do not like to leave you, even for a moment. Oh, never mind, I am not to be shaken now. Mrs. Rowland did not appear during the two long minutes that Margaret was left by herself in the dressing-room. When Philip came for her, he said, "'You must not leave her again. You will stay, will not you? You shall be protected, but you must say, I shall tell her how we stand to each other. We will tell her, carefully, for she cannot bear much emotion. You are tired. You must be tired,' he continued, looking at her with anxiety. "'But do not speak of it. I did sleep last night.' and there will be time enough for sleep when duty is done. The duty for which I have longed ever since I knew what duty was, and her eyes swam in tears. Phoebe's face was a dismal sight, too dismal for the sick room. For so many hours had she been in tears. She was dismissed to refresh herself with a turn in the garden. It was Philip's doing that she was at hand at all. Mrs. Rowland had ordained that she should go but Philip had supported the girl in her resolution to bear anything, rather than leave her mistress while it was essential to her mistress's comfort that she should stay. Mrs. Enderby was in great pain, but yet not something too much to be comforted by finding that all were safe and well in the corner-house. She even smiled when the others laughed at the ridiculous stories with which the children had assaulted her imagination. She thought it was very wrong for people to fabricate such things, and tell them to children. They might chance to put some extremely old ladies into a terrible fright. She was soothed in the very midst of a spasm, by hearing that Margaret would stay with her as long as she liked, if it would be of any comfort to her. In answer to her surprise, and almost alarm at such a blessing, Philip said that Margaret wished it was a pleasure, and asked it as a sort of right. Now could she not guess any reason why it was a sort of right of Margaret's to attend upon her like a daughter? Yes, it was so indeed. Margaret was to be her daughter, some time or other, when her big boy should have learned all his lessons, as little George would say. I am thankful, indeed I am thankful, my dears, to hear this. But, my loves, that will be too late for me. I rejoice indeed, but it will be too late for me. Well, then, let me be your daughter now. The old lady clasped her hands around Margaret, and endured her next paroxysm with her head upon her young friend's shoulder. "'I have a daughter already,' said she, when she revived a little. "'But I have room in my heart for another, and I always had you in my heart, my love, from the first moment I saw you. You hold all the world in your heart, I think. Ah, my love, you flatter me. I mean I took to you, particularly from the very hour I saw you. You have always been so kind and gentle with me.' Margaret's heart swelled at the thought that any one could ever have been otherwise than kind and gentle to one so lowly and so loving. Nothing more could be done than was done for the sufferer. Hope saw her at Mr. Rowland's desire, and said this. He left directions with Margaret, and then declined staying, where his presence could be of no use, and caused much annoyance. Mrs. Enderby was sinking rapidly. The probability was that a few hours would end the struggle. Mrs. Rowland was much alarmed and shocked. She went and came between the drawing-room and her mother's chamber, but talked of the claims of her children at such a time, and persuaded herself that her duty lay chiefly with them. Others wanted no persuasion about the matter. They were too glad to have her dispose herself, where she would be out of her mother's way. 
Mrs. Enderby looked round now, and then seemed as if about eight in the evening, when Mrs. Rowland has come in softly, and Phoebe had met her at the door, to say something very unceremonious. Mrs. Enderby's voice was heard. Phoebe, I hope you are not preventing any person from coming in. I should wish to see my daughter, Priscilla, my dear. Let me see you. Come to me, my dear. Mrs. Rowland's face was very pale, and her brow told of a dreadful headache. There was a dark expression in her countenance, but the traces of irritability were gone. She was subdued for the hour. My dear daughter, said Mrs. Enderby, I may not be able at another time to thank you as I should like for all the care you have taken of me. Nor can I now do it as I could wish, but I thank you, my love. Mrs. Rowland involuntarily cast a glance at her brother and Margaret to see how they took this, but their eyes were fixed on her mother. And I can only say, continued Mrs. Enderby, that I am aware that you must have had many things to bear from me. I must have been much in your way, and often. Margaret and Philip implored her to say nothing of this kind. They could not bear it from one who was all patience herself, and gave no cause for forbearance in others. Mrs. Rowland did not speak, perhaps because she could not. Well, well, I will not dwell upon these things. You are all very kind. I only wanted to say that I was sensible of, of many things, Priscilla. Mother, said she, starting, this dear young friend of ours, she calls herself my daughter, bless her, is to be your sister, my love. Philip has been telling me, let me see, give me the pleasure of seeing. Margaret could have opened her arms to any spectre from the pale kingdoms at a moment like this, and under the imploring eye of Mrs. Enderby, she disengaged her hand from that of her old friend, and took Mrs. Rowland's offering to kiss her cheek. Mrs. Rowland returned the kiss, with some little visible agitation. "'Thank you, my dears,' said Mrs. Enderby, in a strong voice of satisfaction. She had made a great effort. Her speech now failed her, but they thought she would have said something about the children. "'The children,' said Mrs. Rowland, rather eagerly. She turned and went slowly out of the room. The moment the door was shut, there was a heavy fall. She had fainted on the outside. Her mother heard it not. When Mrs. Rowland was found to be receiving, the children were brought to their grandmamma's room. They quietly visited the bed, one by one, and with solemnity kissed the waist cheek, the first time they had ever kissed grandmamma without return. The baby made its remark upon this in its own way, and it had often done before. It patted the cheek rather roughly. Several hands were instantly stretched out to stop its play, to set up a cry, and was hurried out of the room. By the middle of the night, Margaret was longing to be at home and alone. It was all over. She was ashamed to think of her own share of the loss, while witnessing Philip's manly grief, or even while seeing how Phoebe lamented, and how Mr. Rowland himself was broken down. But not the less for this was her heart repeating, till it was sick of itself. I have lost another mother. She did not see Mrs. Rowland again. In the earliest gray of the morning, Mr. Rowland took Margaret home, as they stood on the steps, waiting to be let in, she observed that the morning star was yellow and bright in the sky. As soon as the sun had risen, the toll of the church bell conveyed to every ear in Deerbrook the news that Mrs. Enderby was dead. Perhaps there might have been compunction in the breasts of some who had been abroad on Saturday night, on hearing the universal remark that it must have been rather sudden at last. End of chapter 32